We are privileged today to welcome as our first guest no less a personage than Uthran Heron Michael D. Higgins. I, I'm very interested in, in your, your childhood and in, in your book, uh, The New and Collected Poems, you have a number of chapters uh, prior to each section where in prose um, you, you discuss your childhood and the reasons for the, 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 the next chapter, series of poems. One of the most touching poems, probably I, I would say now, probably your most yeah. famous poem, you're probably tired of it, yeah. um, is The Betrayal. It is, and yeah. it, it is the poem that um, you wrote about leaving your father to the poorhouse. Now... There will be people listening to us who will say, what was the poorhouse? Well, it was called the county home, I think. Or, well, or the, it had been called the county hospital. It might have changed. In fact, actually, because we usually had a panoply of saints to bail us out of all of this, it was called St. Joseph's. To, to put a glass on to things. Put, put <laughs> yeah, but that's they, quite... They, 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 I think... Uh, uh, I had I, I stayed with a wonderful landlady. My salary and uh, ESP, I'm grade eight, retired. You know those generals that put in retirement afterwards? But anyway, it was six pounds 14 and twopence a week. And uh, I had paid three pounds 10 digs and then I have some money. Could my you brother be more, John could, was... Could you be more precise? I could <laughs> The way not, you remember it. My mother, my mother, my brother John looked after things very much. Uh, 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 at home. At that stage, we had moved to living in, in, in uh, my mother and John and myself when I would go home uh, to the little house uh, next to where the railway gates were in Banakar, where you had, you were in charge of the gates, keeping them closed. Oh, and, and you that. were opening the gates for the people to go yeah, through and right, closing yeah. for the trains, yeah. Yeah, that kind of thing. But the thing is that my mother and father and brother were, but the... Uh, the thing about it all, about that poem, invested. You see, if you look the text of the poem in many, many ways, there was nowhere for you to go if you became ill. Like he, he took ill. And, and my, he was he was in ill a long, long while. He had very, very kind of pneumonia, and he wasn't getting better, and so forth. So then he moves over to the to, the, to there. I'm in in. I throw my lift down to Innes. I go in and... What age were you, do you mind my asking, but approximately at this time? Uh, it was about in, in, in 1964. I'd been 23. Okay, so you're 23. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, and then uh, when I go in, and I, I at this stage, I'm studying history and studying other things and all the rest of it. But... I'm very conscious uh, of that. There were many other people from uh, the War of Independence who were there as well. And that gave me the, the concept of the idea of I'm writing this and I'm experiencing this in about 1964. Mm. So, yeah. so at this stage, we were a very confident Ireland. We've been a republic since 1948. As I say, he died between the first programme for economic expansion yeah. in 1958 to 63, and the second. And therefore, when, when the things like that, that, that poem, I began it, and it is many years later that, uh, that I finish it. <coughs> because it's when I'm coming up and down on the train to Galway. I, I remember when the time I finished it. I finished it in... Uh, 
I finished it in, uh, uh, and and I, I I know that my eyes were full of tears because yeah. it is a, it is a it's a it's a tough poem. Do you mind awfully if I ask you to read just the first and maybe last verse? Would yeah, you, because you there are parts of it. I would it's very it. long. Uh, yes, it's quite a long, fine long. Poem. It's a it's a fantastic poem. I have to, I really do believe. Well, it opens with the betrayal, a poem for my father. This man is seriously ill, the doctor had said a week before, calling for a wheelchair. It was after they rang me to come down and persuade you to go in. And goes on then, condemned to remember your eyes as they met mine in that moment. Before they wheeled you away, it was one of my final tasks to persuade you to go in. And it goes on. And then it ends, in the, which is very much... Uh, I think when I say, I look at your photo now, taken in the beginning of bad days with your surviving mates in Limerick, your face haunts me as do these memories, and all these things have been scraped in my heart, and I never hope to forget what was, after all, a betrayal. But I have to say that about that poem, it wasn't so much that my, for example, walking away, which people... So many people have today, and as they'll hear this, be walked to walk away from circumstances. It was also, in a way, I had a, a strong sense of the people I had seen. Mm. Uh, I, in the course of that long poem, I describe um, the way uh, which people, the state was trying to manage things at best. On a very long table, all the potatoes would be put into a big dish in which they all put out their hand for a potato and things like that and put it on a plate and so forth. And uh, uh, I, I have a striking image in there, which was in the one where I say that I watched the long thumbnail peeled potato, the thumbnail that had marked the leather on the sole of the shoe that my father had made for me. Yeah. Our health service is here for you this winter, and we're taking every step to protect you from COVID-19. Our services are open and working, from routine appointments to urgent care. Remember to check your prescriptions and keep a list of your medicines handy. And look out for your Keeping Well This Winter booklet in the post. Visit hse.ie or call HSE Live on 1850 24 1850 for more information. From the HSE. Your free travel card can be used on all Expressway coach services. Despite restrictions, we're staying on the road. Whether you need to attend a medical appointment or for any other essential journey, remember to travel with Expressway. Expressway. Keeping Ireland connected. Here's your chance to win a top-of-the-range smartphone, a Doro 8050, designed specifically for seniors. Doro are market leaders in creating phones with clearer sound and larger text, one that's protected if it falls or can alert others if you do, and makes staying in touch with family and friends simple and enjoyable. Doro helped to make ageing an independent, secure and rich part of life. As you know, age is just a number. All you need to do to win a Doro smartphone is go to the website seniortimes.ie and follow the instructions. The lucky winner will be announced on the Senior Times Facebook page. Doro Phones, making technology easy for all. Say hello to our Premium Plus e-paper bundle. The interactive replica edition of the Irish Independent, Sunday Independent and The Hurled. 
Every paper, every day, delivered to your tablet, phone or desktop for less than €3.50 per week. Subscribe at independent.ie. Up close and independent. That's O'Brien. Dennis, you're very good to give us the time to uh, come and have this little chat. I really do appreciate it. It's great to be with you again, Mike. I'm really interested in finding out about your background, where you came from, what made you what you are now. Can I just dwell for a moment on that, on the tribunal and, yeah. all, and that? Were you very upset at the findings? Now, the findings were not legal findings because there were no real consequences. But from a publicity point of view, were you, were you upset by the findings that they actually made? Well, obviously, my detractors, detractors had a field day. Like, it yeah. was like five-star field day. But I think when I look back, I, I, there was a couple of, you know, data points. One is 17 civil servants gave evidence to say that the licence was awarded fairly to us because we had the best application. Then the international consultant, Professor Anderson, who did a hundred of these competitions around the world, he wasn't called to give evidence. And we had to go into the High Court and force the tribunal to bring him in to give evidence, which we won and eventually did. And then they didn't ask him half the questions they should have. They guillotined him mm. as such. So... I knew from the get-go there was something wrong here. And the problem with tribunals is if you're a barrister and there was three barristers on 3,000 a day, like this is fantastic money. If you open your computer up on a Sunday, you're going to get three grand a day. So, you know, they broke the record for a number of days, worked in a year. So, uh, and then they didn't, they, they were, they, they said, well, we're not going to bring those people in because they're favourable to Dennis O'Brien. <laughs> And, you know, and then ultimately, I suppose the thing that really shuddered me was that when my wife and myself were having our second child, she was in London and about to give birth. And she called me on a Thursday night to say, my consultant said that you better get over here because this is a complicated birth. OK, and I nearly, I nearly had a fit. So we rang the tribunal at four in the afternoon and say, Dennis can't appear tomorrow because his wife is giving birth in London and there are complications. And the tribunal said, fine, fine, fine. But you know what they did? They opened the tribunal, got all the barristers in the next morning and they said, where is Dennis O'Brien? Oh, and they knew that I, like I had told them and then we even wrote them a letter, William Fry wrote them a letter that I couldn't go. And they didn't believe that my wife had a complicated birth of our daughter, Alva. And they made the UK, the London-based obstetrician, write a full report on the birth of my daughter, okay, who's 18 ah. now, and they read it in public in front of maybe 200 people into the tribunal and into the record and into the, the transcript. When that happened, I said, oh my God, this is totally biased and unfair and in a breach of confidentiality like the my, my solicitor and even my senior counsel said to me Dennis I have never seen this before they yeah. must really really have it in for you and after that I just said it's arm to arm and it's hand to hand with the tribunal because I just knew that there was Stockholm syndrome there where the senior counsels were in the thrall of trying to get a result Ultimately, they wrote a draft report and then changed the draft report nearly 
270 degrees in a completely different direction to the final report. To me, it was, you know, a pretty shocking situation. And now we have another tribunal, which is called the SiteServe Tribunal, in regard to when we purchased SiteServe, where you had a politician, Catherine Murphy and the Doyle, even though there was an injunction in court saying that she couldn't, you know, open my bank accounts, which she did, and now she won't come and give evidence to the SiteServe Commission. So the government has spent 30 million. There are at least, you know, 20 barristers, solicitors down there for all the people who are in the in this commission to give evidence, and it's costing 30, 40 million. Mm. So uh, my, my, I have a very low view or poor view of tribunals. Am I glad or am I sorry that I opened up this? I know, it's a Pandora's <laughs> box that's deep. It's like a container. No, but as a matter of fact, if you don't mind, can I yeah. follow on a yeah, little yeah, bit? Yeah, on sure, it? yeah. Um, one thing I do want to say, by the way, mm. at the time I had, I had been chairing a cable company and I was dealing with the Department of Communications on a regular basis and I had met most of the civil servants that you would have been dealing with in it. And I, I, I knew through the tri- tribunal there is no way on earth. Uh, now I'm not. I don't mm. know what happened with you guys. Mm. There is no way on earth a minister is going to walk into those guys and say, "Hey, listen, I, I have the very guy for you. I hope you're going to give it to so and so." There is the, one. They would have told him where to go. Mm. But two, they would have come out since then and said, "By the way, I never said it at the time, but so and so did come to me and ask, would I?" Yeah. So I, I know that whatever about the other aspects you're talking yeah. about, I not know nothing about. Mm. I knew that system well enough to know that couldn't have been the case. Yeah. Can I move on? Yes. Right. You mentioned there the the rough time you got, with, and I did. I, I didn't intend to go this route in my Do chat me, with you at all, Dennis. But yeah. since you brought it up, or since I brought it up, and since we're talking about yeah. it. Independent newspapers, Tony O'Reilly and co. were very hard on you. I remember at that time. And I, I wonder, and I want to ask you the question, subsequently you invested in independent newspapers. Did you invest in independent newspapers to get back at Tony O'Reilly and independent newspapers for the things they had written about you in their newspaper? No. Oh. I, I, I bought shares. But Tony used to love dividends, so you know the INM was a very uh, big dividend payer every year to their shareholders. So I was in the telecoms business, radio, and other business. But I said, I'm going to diversify now, make an investment in a media business, and because it's dividend paying. So I bought shares, bought two or three percent, then about ten percent, and he he kind of misconstrued that that this was an attack on him. Then journalists started saying, oh, this is because the newspapers attacked Dennis. It wasn't. It was a diversification. It was the worst investment I ever made. <laughs> I, but in the am, grand, I right, am I right you lost about 300 million? A bit more, maybe. A bit more. Yeah. Like, you know, uh, but, you know, if you're, if you're investing money, you know, you're lucky to have, if you get a 60% strike rate, a win rate, like, you know, that is really good. But, you know, in, in terms of if you have a portfolio of investments, yeah, look, it was painful. And, you know, if I ever said to my wife, let's cut down a bit of expenditure, she'd just say I&M. Um, <laughs> and, you know, it's just the way it is. You know, and, like, I I sold my but you, shares. But you, you didn't go after O'Reilly, did you? Not personally, no. And actually, 
you know, I, I would have to say that Tony O'Reilly did a lot of good in Ireland. Yeah. He did a lot of good in forging better relations between the United States and Ireland. I think the Ireland Funds is probably his most important piece of work that he's done. And uh, I would say that, you know, I am saddened that he has run into difficult times because, you know, I'm 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 not a person that is in any way vindictive. I, you know, I don't like people going from a high down to a low, okay? And uh, I would hope that everything is behind him at this stage. Um, you, 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 you're not vindictive. Um, all right, can I, can I uh, just posit something to you? Hmm. Um, I know how generous and philanthropic you are. O'Reilly did the Ireland Fund. You've done so many things elsewhere, which I would like to talk to you about hmm. in a few moments. But... I, if I say to you that the image you have in Ireland, despite the philanthropic work you've done, despite your work with Special Olympics, etc., 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 is I believe that the image that a lot of people have of you is of Dennis O'Brien walking in and out of tribunals yeah. and walking in and out of court cases. And if I said to you, a lot of people would consider that you are somewhat litigious. Yeah. How would you react to that? Well, obviously, if you're, if you're asked, invited to give evidence and forced to give evidence, um, and in fact... I probably could have got away of not giving evidence in the trial because I wasn't living in Ireland, okay? Um, but, you know, obviously I had to go in and out of the tribunal. Yeah. And, you know, I gave a number of, uh, I don't know, maybe 20, 30 days of evidence. I right. don't know, over a period of 10 years, okay? So that would be one memory of, of people, me going in and out there. But that's unavoidable, okay? Okay. Along with maybe 150 other people. Yeah, but on the other hand, though, you, you do seem to be litigious. You do, I mean, why, why do... Who, who gives a monkeys if a reporter writes something nasty about you in the paper? Well... Who cares? Yeah, why why do you care? I agree with you, but I'd have to say there's maybe two instances where I took... Uh, three instances where I took libel actions, okay, in the last... 25 years, yeah. okay? And if you look at, you know, the coverage of my affairs and my business affairs or my private life, like it's wall to wall, okay, at times, okay, particularly when I'm in the news. But, you know, I, I took my first libel case like in, in the 90s uh, because they said that I bribed Ray Burke for a radio license which ultimately was totally untrue. And I had, to, I had to protect my name because I was trying to get licenses elsewhere around the world. And if anybody... Yeah, you couldn't was, look, that It was just devastating, CV, yeah. okay? And the second thing was where, you know, I was criticised by the Daily Mail for my work in Haiti, okay? And they said that I was acting the saint in Haiti to deflect the Moriarty Tribunal. Which is, it was a poisonous, villainous piece, okay? And I wrote to the Daily Mail and said, correct that, okay? Yeah. And they said, piss off, okay? And I said, well, would you like to reconsider well, that? Okay, it was the fact that they told you to piss off was what bugged you, yeah, rather well, than, well, I suppose, Well, it's interesting, Mike, there was a minister a number of years ago who uh, was, was libelled on news talk, okay? Now, this minister is retired, okay? I heard about it, I was in London, 
Within 15 minutes, I'd rung the minister and apologised and said, you have been liable to my news talk this morning and I want you to be the first person to know that I'd like to apologise for that, OK? Now, ultimately, she sued us, OK, and we had to pay a yeah. whole pile of money out. But we, I handled it in a way that was proper. If you say something that is completely uh, libelous about something, about somebody, you either take it or you don't take it. And if you're the owner of the media outlet, you should say, I'm sorry, my journalist got it wrong. But instead, the journalists and the media outlet normally fight and say, no, we're right, this is free speech. Yeah. But you're damning somebody and damaging their reputation. And it's, it's wrong and it's unkind by any standards. And like if you take the Sunday Business Post, they were blaming me, okay, for the, the bust of the Irish economy and the busting of the banking, Irish banking system. And I knew in my own mind that any money that I borrowed off Irish banks, I'd pay back. I paid back 900 million to Anglo-Irish Bank. So I was not one of those people, but I was put in a headline. Mm. So we arrive into the... I, I asked them to say, correct that. No, two fingers. We asked them a second time, two fingers. And ultimately we said, well, you know, you, if you're going to damage my reputation, we will take you to court, Okay. So we took them to court, went on and on and on. In the middle of it, one of the defendants, one of the journalists was in the box and the other co-defendant was miming the answers across the courtroom, okay? <laughs> now, I'm saying to myself, how could this happen? Now, if I was in Harare, I'd say, yeah, this, is, this will happen. You know, it could happen. You know what yeah. I mean? But we're supposed to have a really good system here of checks and balances yeah. and that. Yeah. So, I, you know, it was a bruising experience, yeah. okay? I'm delighted to welcome as our special guest today on our Senior Times podcast, John McColgan. John, of course, is one of the creators and the director of Riverdance, which, as everybody knows, I think, is celebrating its 25th amazingly successful year yeah. this year. I really wanted to be a dr drama director, and I did direct a couple of plays in RTE. Yeah. Gabriel Byrne was in one of them. And, uh, but I was known for entertainment, and it's very hard to get out of that and enter drama because you're good. And, but in any event, uh, Riverdance or uh, the Eurovision came along, and uh, the, the interval act, the river dance, uh, changed everything. Yeah. So once we saw those 4,000 people standing on their feet uh, without any prompting and giving one of the loudest uh, ovations and cheers, mm. we knew that, that it had the potential to impact an audience. And um, the house, I, 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 I seem to recall that you got you brought in investors. Okay, there is a show in this. It's yeah. been a success in the Eurovision. There yeah. is a show in this. Now we have to raise the money. Yeah. So RTE came in. RTE one of the came in. Who else? Uh, one Tommy of the Higgins. Tommy Higgins, yeah. He, he, Ticketmaster. Ticketmaster, yeah. And Morris Cassidy. Came in, but they they came in for and uh, and there were a few people who had promised investment, and it just never appeared. And we had to make a break one day to say, we don't have enough money to put this show on. So we mortgaged our house against the balance. It was about eight hundred thousand, and our house wasn't worth eight hundred thousand. But um, so. I wasn't that fearful about it because you're very brave, but I knew that there was really something here and all we had to do was fill the point for a week. Another week, I thought, we definitely. So from that time in the Eurovision, 
in one year, we had the big show up, which was very quick in show business terms. It was up the following year in the point. And uh, I remember our dear friend Gay Byrne on the late, I was on the Late Late Show with Flatley and Butler in, in November, maybe, and the show was in, was in uh, February. And he said, this is a great idea. He said, this is a perfect Christmas gift for your parents or for somebody. And once he said that, the tickets really started oh, the booking. to sell. Yeah. Yeah. And well, it, it sold out. And then we went to Hammersmith and that sold out. And we went back to Hammersmith for the second time and that sold out. And then we went to Radio City Musical and that sold out. We were the longest running show ever to play at Radio City. We played six weeks in a 6,000-seater theatre the yeah. first time we were there. Yeah. And we're going back to Radio City for the eighth time. Hello to Independent Weekend Home Delivery. Save up to 40% with the Irish Independent and Sunday Independent delivered to your door every weekend. Plus, enjoy premium access to independent.ie and read our interactive e-paper edition all week long. All from just €5 per week. Search for Independent Home Delivery now. Your free travel card can be used on all Expressway coach services. Despite restrictions, we're staying on the road. Whether you need to attend a medical appointment or for any other essential journey, remember to travel with Expressway. Expressway. Keeping Ireland connected. Here's your chance to win a top-of-the-range smartphone, a Doro 8050, designed specifically for seniors. Doro are market leaders in creating phones with clearer sound and larger text, one that's protected if it falls or can alert others if you do, and makes staying in touch with family and friends simple and enjoyable. Doro helped to make ageing an independent, secure and rich part of life. As you know, age is just a number. All you need to do to win a Doro smartphone is go to the website seniortimes.ie and follow the instructions. The lucky winner will be announced on the Senior Times Facebook page. Doro Phones, making technology easy for all. Our health service is here for you this winter and we're taking every step to protect you from COVID-19. Our services are open and working from routine appointments to urgent care. Remember to check your prescriptions and keep a list of your medicines handy. And look out for your Keeping Well This Winter booklet in the post. Visit hse.ie or call HSE Live on 1850 24 1850 for more information. From the HSE. I'm delighted to have as my guest today, Marty Morrissey. And Marty, of course, is now the ubiquitous Marty Morrissey. Where did you come from? Tell me about your background and your family. I know you I know you spent time in America when you were yeah. young and things like that, but just give me a, give me a read on your very, parents and your background. Yeah. Very briefly, my father went to school in, in his time in CBS, did everything on Squelga. And uh, he was from West Clare, a little place where, I'm, where we now live as such. Uh, and now, very fancy word is on the Wild Atlantic Way outside the villages of Quilty and Mullock. And he went teaching in Mallow, in the Patrician, and he rented a room. And this girl came along, she was a hairdresser, um, and the, the, the house was owned by the, her cousins. And they fell in love and basically went to America. So Peggy and Martin met up. They, did they get married? They did. They got married and went to, went to they the went States. They went Okay, brilliant. So uh, I don't think they ever thought uh, a child was going to come because they were married four or five years before I arrived. But when my mother got pregnant, they, they insisted, they both decided I was going to be born uh, in Ireland. His conscription was 
in the States at the time. This is far-reaching thinking. Oh. So when they, they knew they were going to try and make their career in in America. Basically, my father my father was an only child, my mother's an only child, and I'm an only child. So I have no first cousins, no aunts, no uncles. But my father's father, my grandfather, loved the land. He reminded me so much of Richard Harris in the field. That was my memory of him. The field and the land was everything. And he used milk cows at four o'clock in the morning and then have a race with other farmers with the pony and trap down to the Onaguera, back which is a creamery, and they give in their milk. And then they'd, they'd have almost bets who they'd beat each other in the morning. To get there. To get there. Like, when you think right? about it. right? Yeah. I never heard of that. Oh, yeah. yeah. It was, that was normal. So my father didn't really want the land. The land was poor. The land was, uh, you know, it was, it was not rich land by any means in West Clare. In fact, a small bit of history is that my grandfather was offered uh, to sell the land because it went back right to the, to the coastline. Because back in the 30s, they were thinking about building an airport. But my father thought the land was so precious, which it wasn't, that they moved in, into the estuary and Shannon Airport was built. So Shannon Airport could have been in West Clare at uh, one stage. But anyway, uh, my father and mother anyway went off to America and then the, I, I was uh, born in Mallow in County Cork. And then three weeks later, I was shipped off to America and I spent the first almost 11 years of my life in New York going to school in, in, uh, in the Bronx, in St. Anne's, in Bainbridge Avenue. What are your memories of that? My memories are uh, every morning, rain, hail, sleet or snow, holding my, my hand across my heart and pledging my allegiance to the American flag because that's what you do. Yeah. And it was a grey pants, grey and red little tie, white shirt. And it was, it was a Catholic school, St. Anne's. It was the Dominican nuns. And there was one nun that was took a fancy to me uh, because she, I was Irish and she was Irish and she kind of took care of me, Sister Thomas, lovely lady. And uh, because there were Indians, there were Romanians, there were Germans, there were all nationalities, obviously Americans, some Indian uh, girls as well. But I was, um, there was a lad from Wexford, Dennis Murphy. He was the only other Irish boy in the class. But it was different. It was kind of... Uh, it was kind of strange. Every Wednesday, we'd have to do uh, what we thought was a fire drill. And the alarm would go off, and we'd all march down the stairs, out onto the basketball court, and we'd then be brought outside the basketball court. But the parents were getting concerned about it, and the police would arrive every Wednesday. But what it was, was there was a public school down the road, and the lads for the crack would ring up the school and say there was a bomb in our school to get the Catholic boys out. And, the, and girls. Uh, and so we came, so it was a little... Like, to get them out, why? Get them, just to have the fun to see just them Just to have the fun, just yeah. to see them out. Yeah, yeah. Really, <laughs> for goodness but, sake. But it was, it was strange, like, it was a mixed culture, Mike, because for me, in the sense that while I did my... Uh, because that's what I was, that was what I was told to do uh, when you're six, seven. So you were American Monday to Friday. And then every Sunday you went to Gaelic Park and you became Irish again. Because you went to Gaelic Park because it was before mobile phones and before texts and emails. And my father was a travel agent. Uh, so everybody would book with a travel agent to come home to Ireland or go on holidays to the Caribbean. Because when my father and mother went to America first, my father worked with Cook's Travel and then with Aer Lingus for a little while. And then he went into a travel agency called Fairways. And then he went out on his own. So I remember, I have a great fascination with planes and aviations. I love airports. And my father, when he, got, when he opened up his travel agency, he'd bring me to Kennedy Airport. And he'd be gone off, and I'd be one of those kids at the window, 
looking at the planes and the pilot, the big planes coming in. And, you know, you could see right into the cockpit. And I just loved that. And so when I was growing up initially, I wanted, well, there was two choices, to be a bus driver, uh, because the bus used to make lovely sounds. Um, then I wanted to be a priest, uh, and I used to put a towel around my shoulder, and uh, I'd have a Marietta biscuit as the host. <laughs> yeah. And... Um, then eventually was a pilot. Yeah, it was definitely going to be a pilot because of my dad's uh, business, uh, in the travel business. So they're only just memories. But the amazing thing is about the Irish in New York, Gaelic Park was an employment exchange. It didn't matter whether Mike Murphy was from Dublin or Marty was from Clare. Once you knew somebody, you'd go to Gaelic Park on a Sunday and say, Mike is coming over next, next Tuesday. Any chance you get him a job? Now, you could be plumbing, electrician. And the networking was fantastic, fantastic yeah. you know? Now, it's still there strong, but obviously the world has changed yeah. and it's less contact, yeah. uh, except maybe on a Sunday. Why did you come back to Ireland? Why did the family come back? Like, what age were you? Did you say you were 10 or 11 when you came back? Why we, came, we came back in August. The whole family, the, the whole three family, of you. The three of us. <clears throat> and uh, they decided, because of conscription, I was going to have to have, <clears throat> I, although I had an Irish passport, and I, I, was, I was a dual citizen, because my father had taken out American citizenship. But because I was educated in New York, uh, once I went into high school at that time, you would have to do an army service. There was no ifs, buts, and ands. So, of course, being the only child, they thought this was, like, if we put him into high school, well, then by the time he's finished high school, he'll, he'll be conscripted for a year or two and have to do service. So I don't think they wanted to do that. So a pub came up for sale in my father's home place in Quilty, uh, Martin Casey uh, owned it, and my father uh, bought it. So we came home to West Clare when I was about to enter. There was another year. I had another year to do because there was only 10. <clears throat> but because the pub came up for sale, we came home a year earlier than planned, or at least what they had planned. Heck of a change, wasn't it, yeah. coming back to Quilty from uh, so, the Bronx? Mike, you have no idea because wow. we lived in 4D, I think was our apartment. So we were on the fourth floor in a very tiny apartment. And... But you'd see the lights. You know, you'd look out the window and you'd see lights. Where, when we came home to Quilty, there was one light uh, outside the pub, because there's, there's only one pub in Quilty, you'd drive through it. And the next, the only other light was the light from the Aran Islands Lighthouse. And my bedroom was over the shop. It was a little grocery shop and a pub. And every 13 seconds, you'd see the light from the Aran Island Lighthouse going round. And I said to myself, Dad, what have you done like? Do you know what I mean? Was he happy that he came back? Did he? No, no, he was very happy. I think he missed the travel business. And the pub business was a very different business, uh, even to what it is now. And uh, so it was a whole new exploration for him. But I, I, think, I, think he, uh, I think he enjoyed it. But I also thought, I remember when I came home, I was happy to come home because all I wanted to do was play football and hurling. Because I got the love of football and hurling in Gaelic Park. So I was happy. But obviously I wasn't concentrating on my book, so he told me at my intercert, either you concentrate or we're, we're, you're going to be here uh, in the pub business for the rest of your life. And I remember he's, he, it was one of those moments, my dad never sat me down, but he gave me a bit of a talk and to, to cop on. And uh, so I kind of, from there on, I said, okay, I don't really want to be stuck in the pub all my life. And so it was kind of a, it was, it was a great experience because you meet a lot of people, you learn a lot about people in the pub. You get degrees in psychology and sociology and all sorts of ologies. Yeah. And if you ask me, of all the things in terms of education, what was the best education I got? Probably being in the pub for six or seven years. Because you get to know people. 
delighted to welcome as my guest today, Ryan Tubridge. There's no need to actually <laughs> add any frills around your name, Ryan, that's for sure. No frills attached. Um, well, I would say one of the nicest people in this business. I'm interested to talk to you initially about celebrity, about mm. fame. Mm. Um, but before getting into that, would could I ask you now, at this stage, give me your assessment of your career as it stands today? Um, I'd say it's porous. Um, I'd say that it has been... Um, uh, you, are you talking about today or in, in a retrospective? Retrospective. retrospective. I'm, I'm, what I'd like to know is this. Yeah. You're, I think you've done maybe 10 or 11 years of The Late Late. Yes. You've been yeah. doing your, your solo performance on radio, yeah. both uh, 2FM and Radio 1, for yeah. a number of years That's now. Right. It, it has always appeared to me that this is your lifelong ambition to be where you are. Yes. But the fact is, you're in your... Late Eight-ish, 40s, am I yeah, right? 47, I thought, 47, yeah. and you've now achieved this. Mm. So, what way are you thinking of where you've got to, yes. how you've got to it, okay. and where do you go where from, to here? from here? <laughs> Good, okay, that covers a multitude. <laughs> um, first of all, it's the dream. Uh, I got the dream. Uh, that's the truth. I always really, really wanted to do what I'm doing. Now, what I'm not going to do is sugarcoat this by saying it's been beautiful. It, of course, it's been complicated. And of course, um, real life gets tangled up in uh, showbiz, so-called. And, you know, all those ups and downs are complicated. And what you see isn't necessarily what's happening in, in, in the real life of it all. But it's been a joy. I remember talking to Jerry Ryan, uh, as interviewing him and asking him about, remember the word you, we used was the audit. In the audit of your life, what's, how are the checks and balances working out? And I was, uh, to apply that to my, and he was great, but I was trying to apply it to myself. And, and I was, that, that great James Stewart movie, It's a Wonderful Life. I've had a wonderful life. Like I've had, if, if, I, if I leave this and say, Mike, it's been great to see you. And I walk out going, that was great. And the bus hit me. I think if I was asked two minutes before, how was it for you? I'd say, I did all right. And I enjoyed it. I've enjoyed meeting people. I've enjoyed, I've given the, uh, great gifts from my parents. Um, the, the gift of, 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 uh, of fun and mischief from my mother and of history and curiosity and deadpan humor from my father. And that's a great combination um, because I've been able to apply all of that. I'm not particularly good at one thing. I don't have a skill. I'm not a historian. I'm not a, a, a writer. I'm not a scientist. I'm not a mathematician. I'm not an artist. I could give you a list of what I'm not, but I'm curious. And isn't that what we're meant to be doing for a living? Just be curious. And if you're curious, you're never bored. Um, you said once, years ago, uh, you said, and I don't mean that to be harsh when the emphasis on the years ago, but you did say at one point that if you're not having fun, get out. And that was a great uh, credo, and I believe that. Uh, thankfully for, for me, and I hope the viewers and listeners, um, I'm still having fun, so I'm not in a hurry out the door. Now, does that mean I don't look over the hedge every so often? Of course I look over the hedge. Of course I have to. I have to think what happens if I do get bored or what happens if they get bored of me. So, but I'm not living on my nerves. You know, I'm not that uncomfortable in my skin. I've really grown into it. So I think it, it's, a, it's a good time at the moment. And strangely, you know, people have said nice things about the Late Late Show this season um, more than any other. It, it, that's 11 years in, people have started to say, um, actually, you know, we had the COVID 
um, and you know you handle it well. Um, and I would say, yeah, thank you. But I tend to, and I really, and I do it properly. I tend to pass it on to people behind me. Um, and that's not phony self-deprecation. Oh, no, you know. But you are only as good as those people. And, and I have particularly good leadership this year um, uh, that led me into a very good place uh, into my, in, in terms of my head and my heart. Okay, that's where you are now. Yeah. You're 47 years mm. of age. Um, are you going to take go, go 10 years down the yeah. road? Are you going to be happy in terms of the life you've led? As you've said, it has been a blessed life you would consider in the main. I know we all have little stumbling stumbles here and there, sure. but uh, 10 years on there, will you still be doing the Late Late Show willingly? I mean, let's mm. be honest about it. They're supposing RTE said at some stage, Ryan, we're going to give you a rest this year. Yeah. We're going to bring in Miriam O'Callaghan sure. to give her a year or somebody else yeah, to give ro- her a rotating year. Taoiseach sort rotating Taoiseach. Of. <laughs> rotating presenters of the Late Late <laughs> hey, listen, Show. Everything's possible Correct. now, Mike. Yeah. So for you, would life have ended? No, 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 I'm glad, to, I'm glad you put it that way because no, life would be different, it'd be strange, but that would mean, okay, you're going to have to pick another game uh, or take another challenge and it would be difficult. I'm not going to say to you, oh, you know, I'd not walk away, I'd be fine. Of course it wouldn't be fine. I'd be upset and I'd be worried and I'd be uh, concerned and I'd be, my self-confidence would be uh, booted. But these are hypotheticals that haven't happened yet. So I, I don't want to worry myself into early retirement. Right. Um, but for the same token, I see myself there for the, in the near to medium future. Um, and the only thing that I think might change is the landscape of the media landscape is terrestrial television. Um, you know, streaming services, Netflix and all these kind of things. They're such a threat. And yet... Um, and I'll just bore you with one figure: is that the, that the, the 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 late late show in this season uh, did did more business, if you like, at the box office than it has done for six years since 2014. In other words, some programs can survive the digital onslaught. Some programs, like the late late, has been became has has often been, but particularly this year, uh, the town hall. People want to come to the, that show. You know, there's a type of person who watches prime time. Um, and there's a type of person who listens to Morning Ireland, and they're not necessarily the same people who watch the Late Late Show. It's a different class of, of a blended sense of, of, of what's happened in the week, um, of, of somebody who's talking yeah. about a film they're in or whatever. It's a very different type of show, mm-hmm. so it's a different type of language you're using to talk to them. Mm-hmm. They're tired, they've had a long week, they've collected their kids, they've been teaching, they've been... Um, they want a bottle of wine. They want a pot of tea. Yeah. They want to relax. They They're actually they, settling in. They are. Watch the late, late show. Now you have it. You know, they are. It's a thing. They? And it's, it's like toast and tea. Yeah. You know, it's not like, you know, a strong coffee for the boardroom. It's the, yes. it's, it's the TV room. Yeah. You know, it's the couch. And that requires a different language and uh, emotional intelligence. Gay stayed, uh, stayed at it for... Ever. His, his, his adult <laughs> life, let's be honest. He did. And you know, he and I were very friendly. You and he yeah. and I were very friendly. Yes. Um, but Gay did have regrets. Mm. Now, he, it was quite interesting. There was a dichotomy there. Mm. He, did, he did have regrets about having spent his life on the treadmill. Yeah. And he felt he did miss out on life by being on that No doubt treadmill. about it. He did feel that. On the other hand, after he retired, I remember him saying to me, I think I went too early. 
Wow. I think he said that to me, and he said, "You know, I look at America, and some of the guys there, they're they're staying on, and they they won't go. And I think I could have stayed on." He did so. So there were the two things there, yeah. but the fact is, his was a very, in my opinion, Ryan, mm. his was a very straightened life. He missed out on a lot of things in terms of travel, adventure, change. Now, he loved the fact, like you say, you're a curious man, so was Gay. Gay was curious. I, gay, in my view, didn't change the social scene of Ireland with the Late Late Show. He just wanted to know what people were doing and why would you do it? Mm. He had no problem yeah. saying, why would you do a thing like that? Yeah. Yeah. You know, he, and he yes. wanted to know. Yeah. So he, I, I think he may have missed out on elements of life. Do you ever think about that in terms of you? That That's a treadmill you're on. It is, but I don't think I miss out uh, in the way that... Gay, in many ways, I looked at Gay for things, for how not to do things. And by that, I mean, um, I was not going to be a slave to RTE. And that was a really good lesson. So I'm not there from... Um, you know, six in the morning till eight o'clock at night, six days a week uh, with yeah. with a two a.m. finish on a Friday. You must be kidding me. Um, like, you know, but he, he but the difference was. Um, I mean, I don't know why he did that, and maybe the program was better because he did that. But it was it was different times. There were only two channels, and he was very committed to it. And it was, and and I I'm I look I spend a lot more time with you know my with myself my thoughts my with my girls they're too important to me to 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 compete with RT with they will RT will never win if it's me versus the girls really yeah and i'd rather be and I, this may sound strange but i'd rather be kind of penniless and uh, and uh, a pauper former broadcaster uh, and spend times and 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 be and and love my girls than uh, tread the boards and wondering how they are. <laughs> <laughs>